Quarterbacks, hosted by W. Earl Kitchings. Our podcast is dedicated to preserving the legacies of black quarterbacks who've played the game of American football. And now, here's your host, W. Earl Kitchings. Hello and welcome once again to another edition of the Forgotten Quarterbacks. I'm your host, Earl Kitchings. And as usual with our podcast, we are here to bring you stories, information and other interesting trivia facts that relate to the legacies of black quarterbacks who have played the game of American college football, pro football and some high school football in America. We are always happy to be with you, and we'd like to know that you can check us out if you follow us on our website at quarterfi.com. So this episode of the Forgotten Quarterbacks is going to talk about Michigan State University and their impact on black quarterbacks at the collegiate level. And it's interesting because Michigan State was probably the first power white college that had several black players on their teams back in the mid 60s. Up until that point, it may have been one or two. The landscape allowed maybe one or two, sometimes three. But. Coach Duffy Doherty, back in the mid-60s, changed the landscape when he brought in several black college football players, one of them being a quarterback, to the campus of East Lansing, Michigan, at Michigan State. But years before that, years before that, there was a guy who came to Michigan State and set the marker on the field. It was 1948. Arriving from Kensington, Pennsylvania, a man who would later become known as the pro. And I want you to think about a nickname that you get called the pro. That says a lot about your skills and talents. But Willie Thrower, came to Michigan State in 1948 and he became known as Willie the Pro Thrower, a man who was about six foot one, six foot two, had enormous hands, could grip the football, could throw tight spirals, could throw it on a rope. He was a guy who, based on the information that has been written about him, He got it done, but he did not or he was not allowed to have more of a prolific, even a great or a good college career simply because his time on the field was limited. But during his time and in his last year at Michigan State, He helped lead the Spartans 
to the 1952 National Championship. And you may wonder why you've never heard about this. And if you have heard about this, why did it take so long for it to get some notoriety? And the answer to both questions would probably be the same because of who Willie Thrower was. Willie Thrower died recently, uh, I think about three years ago, and Michigan State University never forgot Willie Thrower. They made some interesting acknowledgments of him uh, in the night in the 2022 season uh, going into that season, because that was 70 years, 70 years after that 1952 championship. And here's going to be the unique thing about it. Willie Thrower was instrumental or played a vital role in that 52 championship. The next time Michigan State won a national championship, a black quarterback was at the helm. So 18 years after Willie Thrower, 16 years, okay, exactly. 16 years after that national championship, the next guy to arrive, and he arrived with that group of guys who came on the scene. Guys like George Webster and, and Bubba Smith, guys who on the defensive side became very, very known, not only for their defensive play, but George Webster and Bubba Smith were ginormous guys. These guys were like 6'6", playing defensive end, defensive tackle, dominating the field. But the guy who was the catalyst to that 19. 66 team came out of Fayetteville, North Carolina. And in 1966, being a 12-year-old watching football on TV on Saturdays and seeing, and of course, for many of us, we did not have color TVs at that time. So seeing This particular game against Notre Dame, when both teams were undefeated, they both came into the game 10-0. And to see Jimmy Ray, black quarterback from Michigan State, directing God, might have seen or read about him on the cover of Sports Illustrated or seen him in Sports Illustrated, but as far as seeing him actually play, maybe once, during the course of that year, but this particular game was called the game of the century, the game of the century. And Jimmy Ray and this integrated team of players at Michigan State would play Notre Dame, ironically, to a 10-10 tie. They won the Big Ten championship that year. They also went on to the Rose Bowl that year, and they were crowned the national champions that year. Now, Jimmy Ray was a phenomenal guy, stood about maybe 5'11", 6 feet at the most, but not so much about his size, but about his intelligence to run an offense, to throw the football, 
to make plays when plays needed to be made. And his play in leading this team in just his second year, just his second year of being on the campus, playing at that level of college football, loomed very large at that time. So watching TV and watching this guy play for Michigan State, and of course, I'm rooting for him because I had not ever seen a black quarterback play at a major college ever in my life. I had witnessed many black quarterbacks on Saturday afternoons and Saturday nights going to Tallahassee to watch Florida A&M play. But this was different. And watching Jimmy Ray performed, man, you're talking about a 12-year-old who was on fire watching this guy play, watching Michigan State try to win this ball game, and it's just going back and forth. You know, it's like a prize fight, two heavyweights, and they're just hitting each other with bombs. Now, you might wonder, why did Michigan State get the title? Well, Notre Dame, instead of making an effort to try to win the game, when they had the ball in the waning moments of the game, they chose to go for the tie. They didn't want to risk anything happening with Michigan State making a play on defense and maybe scoring. And I believe the coach at that time was Eric Parsegan, and I believe he was just comfortable knowing that if he can just get out of this game with a tie, he will be satisfied. So Jimmy Ray, under the head coaching of Duffy Doherty, and we have to give credit to Coach Doherty, may he rest in peace, for having a vision, for not worrying about what people were going to say, not worrying about what the alumni were going to complain about, because when you're winning, a lot of the naysaying and complaining is minimized, almost silent. And when you're on a 10-0 and 0 run and this guy is leading the team, it's not too much you can say. But Jimmy Ray, I would say from the 1960s through mid-60s, because Sandy Stevens played at Minnesota back in the late 50s, early 60s, and won a Big Ten title while he was at Minnesota. But there weren't many black players on that team, uh, maybe one or two others. But this team that Duffy Doherty put together had, you know, at least eight of these guys. Uh, and, and I'm thinking about that team, and Jimmy Ray's favorite target on that team that particular year was a guy by the name of Gene Washington. Gene Washington and Gene Washington had to be about a six foot three receiver. So they had the ammunition in the arsenal to do what they needed to do. But in a defensive game, you know, things can go very, very back and forth. But Jimmy Ray is the guy that followed Willie Thrower at Michigan State. So 52 Willie Thrower left 64. Jimmy Ray arrives and not since Jimmy Ray led Michigan State to that national title in 1966 have the Spartans of Michigan State ever won another 
national title. So following Jimmy Ray were a couple of guys that came to Michigan State. And ironically, the next two guys came from North Carolina also. One of them from the same hometown as Jimmy Ray and the same high school. And his name was Charlie Baggett. Charlie Baggett. Both he and Jimmy Ray came out of E.E. Smith High School in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And Baggett came to East Lansing, started two seasons, and would finish with a career, starting career. His starting career was 14-7-1. So as maybe as good of a high school quarterback as he might have been in, at E.E. Smith, he was not able to deliver another championship, not even a Big Ten championship. But again, you got to have 10 other great players, outstanding players to get you there. So Baggett was there. And while Baggett was there, a guy became a back backup to Baggett. And his name was Tyrone Willingham. He was the third consecutive black quarterback to arrive at Michigan State from North Carolina. So that was three guys back to back to back. Now, Tyrone Willingham did not get a lot of playing time. He stayed in a backup role. And for those of you who know football, you know that Tyrone Willingham became an outstanding collegiate coach. As a matter of fact, he coached at Stanford, Notre Dame, and the University of Washington had some outstanding teams, and played some phenomenal football. And my theory has always been this. Great players don't make or become great coaches, and great coaches were never great players. It's almost like the man up above, I'll give you some of it, and you can do that, but I'm not going to let you be the great coach and player. No, I'm going to give you one or the other. And I challenge anyone listening to our podcast to think of any professional or college coach who was a superstar or a great player and went on to be a superstar coach. Now, there are going to be some folks who come real close. But when I'm talking about a superstar coach, I'm talking about the likes of a Vince Lombardi, a Bill Belichick, Tom Landry, Chuck Noll. I'm talking about guys like that. And when we talk about exceptional, exceptional athletes playing and making their bones on the field but not on the sidelines, there aren't many. You, you'll be challenged, and I don't care what sport you talk about, there have been some great players to become coaches, but they didn't have great outcomes as coaches or managers. Very difficult thing to do. So following Tyrone Willingham, the second most successful coach that came to Michigan State was a guy by the name of Bobby McAllister. And and the reason why I say the second most successful, because before the next guy came, uh, McAllister passed for 3,194 yards, 17 touchdowns, and finished his career at Michigan State with a 15-7-2 record. 
he came from Pompano Beach, Florida. And if you know anything about Pompano Beach, anybody want to take a guess what other outstanding quarterback in today's time is from Pompano Beach, Florida? Think about it. But he is listed, McAllister is, 16th on the career passing list uh, at Michigan State. And in his junior year, he directed the team to a conference championship and a Rose Bowl. Following McAllister, Tony Banks, hailing from San Diego, California, played at Michigan State and one of seven black quarterbacks who saw action in the Big Ten program, Michigan State program, that is. He is 13th on the Spartan all-time career passing list, and he was an outstanding quarterback. Outstanding. 13th on the list, McAllister is 16th. Banks threw for 4,129 yards, 20 touchdowns. Finished his career with basically a 500 career record of 11 and 11. Before he went on to play professional football. And finally, the last guy, the last black quarterback that we were able to find in our research was a guy who came from Detroit, Michigan. In the year 2001-2004, and just to back up a little bit, McAllister was there from 84 to 88. Tony Banks was there from 94 to 95. Tony Banks was there two years. But this final guy, Damon Dowdell, 2001-2004, 2,170 yards, 16 touchdowns. I was not able to really figure out what his career record was. But he played in only 21 games and is listed 21st on the all-time Spartan passing list. So those are the guys who make up a short list of quarterbacks for Michigan State, starting with Willie the Pro Thrower. And Thrower only had 400-plus yards and five touchdowns in the limited time that he played, but he will always be endearing to the Spartan Legion. So Willie Thrower, Jimmy Ray, Charlie Baggett, Tyrone Willingham, Bobby McAllister, Tony Banks, and Damon Didell. Those are the quarterbacks who have made up Michigan State's legacy on black quarterbacks. And again, as short of a list as it is, we still want to give a tip of the hat to the fact that that program was the first power major college to have more than a couple of black players on their team. And Jimmy Ray was the quarterback there who led the team to a national championship and a Big Ten championship. He was also voted a Big Ten second-teamer, voted a Big Ten uh, second-teamer. And during the time that Ray played, he was the only black quarterback in the Division I ranks. 
the only one at that time. It would be a couple of years later for some other before some other guys came along and things start changing. And as you can see in today's landscape, black quarterbacks are definitely the movers and shakers of a lot of collegiate teams and especially some pro teams. So our trip down memory lane to provide you with this information in history to make sure that you know what our history is as far as black quarterbacks in American football. This is why Quarterfy Back Awards was created. So we invite you to go to our website, quarterfyback.com, and that's P-H-I, not F-I, quarterfyback.com. Click on the icon and look for the blog icon on the menu page. And if you click on the on the blog icon on the menu page, it'll take you to our newsletter called The Post Route. And there you can read our newsletters, see the pictures, see the stats of black quarterbacks who have played in collegiate programs over the years. And also those quarterbacks who have made an impact recently in the NFL draft and with their salaries in the National Football League. So we invite you to go to our website, quarterfyback.com. You can also order a copy of our book, The Forgotten QBs, The Little Known History, Statistical Data, and Facts about black quarterbacks who played the game of American college football. We hope that if you do get a copy of the book, you can go to the website and order it via our email address at quarterfyback at yahoo.com. We'll get it out to you. And we just ask that you make us a part of your regular listening and reading pleasure uh, every week, because each week, there will be something engaging about the legacy of these men who have made their marks. So until the next time for my producer, director, engineer, Mr. Deterion Sturgill, I'm W.O. Kitchings here for the forgotten quarterbacks. And as we say each week, as we close, go for the bomb. Take care. Thank you for joining us here on the Forgotten Quarterbacks with host W. Earl Kitching. Join us as we discuss more about the legacies of black quarterbacks who've played the game of American football. 